upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. As we look at the, this passage again, just a, a brief overview last week, uh, and I was thinking how appropriate because last week we ended in the verse 5. It says, he has given food to those who fear him. And then, uh, as you know, the uh, Mendoza family was here, and uh, the Briggs were here, and all of a sudden we got eggs and apples and sun chips, and it was kind of uh, interesting how uh, those two collaborate. But God knows, and even simple things like that, he provides food. But it's a reminder of the thought process of our daily bread. I was speaking with someone this week, and uh, they were talking about, and we were talking, discussing the differences in the United States and other countries how oftentimes marketplace and uh, you go and you, you only get enough to sustain you. It's not like they have large pantries and refrigerators in other countries. But uh, you go to the marketplace, everything is fresh. You go in and here we have a lot of packaged foods. We have things that keep um, for longer periods. But in other countries, it, it becomes more of a, a daily routine. And uh, it was, during that time, if you think about manna, if you think about the Israelites in the wilderness, they could only take enough that could sustain you. And uh, if you were ever to be in the wild or taking a trip, maybe backpacking into the wild, you would want to be prepared for many things. And if someone, a guy told you, said, I only want you to take what um, you need for that day, and you're going on maybe a 10-day hike, you'd be like, well, that's going to be what are we going to do in the meantime oh you'll just forage you'll eat bugs and wasps and insects no big deal right you'd be like I'm not going on that trip but it is foreign to us the the reliance upon a daily need but yet God is the one who gives us food to those who fear respect him understand who he is and be mindful and it really the emphasis is not upon ourselves but upon God that he is the one who is faithful, and he is the one who will always provide for our needs no matter the circumstances. And God uses individuals to provide in other ways. And as we think about the past, think about your lives, how God has brought people into your paths and provided at certain times in your life. Maybe there was a time where you were discouraged, and maybe there was a time where you needed, and someone was able to invest in you. Often, as believers, we think about, you know, we like to help others because someone once helped us. And it's important to continue to remember that sometimes God brings people into your lives in a time of where you think you, you don't need anything because we're very self-sufficient. But God brings people into our lives to remind us that, guess what? Uh, you need to be invested in because you need to rely upon God. You need to allow other people to bless you because of who God is. And 
it is an important reminder. And so as we look at verse 6, he has declared to his people the power of his works in giving to them the heritage of the nations. So let me ask you this. So as we open up, what is a heritage? Some of you, if you're reading in a different translation, might have something different. But what is a heritage? Something that, like your family has been doing all this time and they passed it on to you, that would be your heritage. Okay. Yep. Andrew? Something that you inherit, basically. Something that you inherit, yeah. Inheritance? Something you didn't do to get. Something that you didn't do to get? So what, what it leaves open, at least for me, when I was reading through, it looks at um, heritage, it can be interpreted as something tangible and something intangible. And what I mean by that is sometimes a, a heritage of a family, maybe it's a cultural um, practice that uh, you do as a family that's been passed on. And uh, you continue on that heritage or a heritage of a good name. You know, it can be a good name or a bad name. But a, a heritage, that is uh, almost similar to a reputation, that intangible. But it also can be something tangible, whereas an inheritance. You know, if you had a rich uncle that wanted to leave you an inheritance of a couple million dollars, you know, you'd be like, all right, I'll, I'll accept that heritage. You know, that's okay. Or it could be um, an inheritance of something else. Uh, if you've ever read those mystery murders where, you know, okay, they leave you this inheritance, you have to go find it and uh, search through and solve the riddles. But the, here, the inheritance, the emphasis upon the heritage is something on, of more tangible. And in the word in the Hebrew, as I looked at it. And then also, as it continues on, it says, of the nations. I know the King James says, of the heathens. And uh, it can be a little confusing in that. But um, let's just to go through and look at that. And, that. and that word heritage, just beginning with the word heritage, the emphasis upon that is taking possession. Taking possession, or if I were to say occupation granted by God, what would you think that refers to? What did God promise, or what did God give in regards to that they could take occupation of? Andrew. Israel. Israel, yes. What, what, what were they to take occupation of? Yeah, the promised land. And so that is really the emphasis that the psalmist brings back to and as we look at it. And what I want you to do is take a moment to contemplate back and think about some of the miraculous events that preceded the conquering of Canaan. What were some of the events that occurred before the nation of Israel came into Canaan? Okay, the passing through the Jordan River on dry ground. All right, absolutely. Forty years in the wilderness, going through, desert, walking. Some of them, their, their uh, clothes and sandals didn't wear out. What else? Absolutely, to be able to see the plagues and uh, to um, witness that and not be a part of that. Yes? Crossing the Red Sea. Of course, the crossing of the Red Sea. I mean, that would have been... Um, well-known throughout. And as we look at these events, and even some of the battles that they faced, because that was, 
as we think about the intangibles, that would have gone before them. And they had, the surrounding nations knew of, of this nation and the God that brought them across the Red Sea and had helped them in battles. And as we look through, even through the judges, but here as we come and understand what took place, the providing of water, it became about the reputation of their God, Yahweh. Not this people, because as they look at the people, they, they were a large number, but they had no fighting ability, no military campaign that they were able to uh, engage in. But it was the reputation of their God that preceded them on their uh, journey. And the phys physical fulfillment of that inheritance when no one believed. And as we think about even as it progressed in the future, what occurred on May 14, 1948? As we look at that, Israel becomes recognized as an independent country. And here their own land, and who would have ever thought that? And as we think about the fulfillment of the promises toward this nation, continues on. And someday in the future, nations will know the power of God when Jesus Christ fulfills the Davidic covenants and rules upon the earth. The evidence of God's power is seen in his past actions but also towards the nation of Israel because of his divine care. And as we look at Romans 1, 19 and 20, the surrounding nations presently, Romans talks about Paul says, you know, they are able to understand that there is a God because of his invisible divine attributes. People can know that there is a God. And when, when they recognize the design, the order, some attribute it to just how can you not believe in evolution? But those from a different perspective can understand, wait a second, there must have been a designer, a creator, one who established the heavens. And the more you understand about who God is, the more you're able to look at these complex um, arrangements and think about this doesn't just happen by chance. This isn't something that could have taken years and years to come about. And personally, we must acknowledge his mighty acts in our lives through his provisional care and supernatural acts of redemption. And when I say redemption, think about people who maybe you've known or heard about and said, if I step into church, you know, the roof is going to fall in. Or people who you think would never come to Christ. There's times where a person's reputation precedes them and we won't share Christ with them or we, we don't even want to be friends with them because they're so antagonistic toward the gospel, toward any spiritual things. But the benefit is at least you know where they stand. Sometimes they're the ones who you can at least share the gospel with in a, in a, in a manner that is more consistent than someone who is a good person. Because a good person thinks, well, I don't need God because I'm okay. I've, I've behaved well, and you know, I've got a sense of moral uh, fiber. My, my moral compass is good. But when it comes to um, needing God or needing help from the Bible, they will say, well, I'm okay. And so as we look at the power of God that enables us as individuals to behave contrary to our selfish and sinful nature, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can continue to be a testimony to others. Without Christ, we aren't as bad as we could be. And uh, just as far as if you think about that, the Holy Spirit. We could be 
really sinful people. As if we think about our own thoughts. No one knows your thoughts. No one knows your actions. If you think about the thoughts that have come into your mind, the things that you, you, we think about, we have done. You know, if there were no law. And some of us, we, we behave because we don't want to disappoint others. And that's okay, because that's still a, a guide in our life. But when we understand who God is, it becomes more of a prevention of not behaving a certain way because we'll either disappoint or because we'll, we don't want to hurt someone else, but it becomes more of a motivational factor is that we don't behave a certain way because we want to please someone else. And that is a more powerful tool. Because in our own strength, we're going to fail. We're going to fail because, oh, it's kind of like try to walk the tightrope. Try to stay away from eating carbohydrates. Try to stay away from um, doing that. Try to, you know, be on time. Well, can't. But when there's a, a more powerful motivation to want to, because you love someone, because you care about someone, that compels us to behave in a different way. But it also helps us to understand that we can't do it on our own. It's through the Holy Spirit that enables us to behave in a way which is contrary to our own ability. And here, as we look at, he has declared to the people the power of his works. That is the emphasis, the power of his works, not only in our world, but in our personal lives. That heritage is a correlation to legacy. And I would ask you, what works of God have you seen in your life? Because it also implies ownership. God, who is the owner of you. And so I would ask a question, what... Is there anything, you know, just in a, in a, in a um, initiative of thinking about a praise, what is something that God has done for you in your life? And that is not a rhetorical, that is, a, you know, you can answer. Is there a praise, is there something? You know, God has done this for me in my life. Yeah. That had to be fine work because not many people are chosen to get a grant yeah. to replace all the clients. And as we look at those events, you know, it's it becomes more powerful that you can attribute it to God. What else? Anything else? Just to share, yes. Yep, praise the Lord. And we're glad that we used to live in Ohio in an apartment above their garage. And we're glad we don't live above their garage just because of the heat out here. But uh, it's what a blessing to have that. Little details. And when you start to think about those events in our lives, and it's important, no event is insignificant in the work of God. Those details. And look at verse 7. Verse 7, it says, The works of his hands are verity and justice. Now, we don't necessarily use the word verity or verily, but uh, understanding the truthfulness of that. But as we look at, as, as you think about the hands, in, uh, in the scripture it talks about, you know, the hands. God doesn't have hands. He's a spirit. 
but why does it use hands? It helps us to understand how God works. And at that time, as you think about even in Jeremiah, the potter's wheel, the craftsmanship, the ownership of the works of the hands, and the implication of that as far as God is carefully and uh, molding and the, the um, artistry, if you will, of that. And as we look at Verity, the truth and justice, all his precepts or commandments uh, also can be instruction. But um, they are sure, they're trustworthy, they're verified, they're confirmed. So precept, the word precept literally means a thing appointed, a charge. If you think about a, a master giving a directive to a servant, his expectation is that, that that task will be completed. No questions asked, you know, you sometimes ask questions, but just simply complete the task. Even though they don't always understand, and even for us, if we don't always understand God's directives, nor do we agree with them, but we can be confident that his directives, his precepts are correct, they're true, and just. And sometimes we think, God, this is unfair. Why won't you allow me to do things? The picture's always been, well, God's laws are pre prevent people from having fun or prevent us from, uh, from being able to express our individuality, our free will decisions. But his precepts are correct true and just. Have you ever doubted instructions? Well, if you've ever put something together from Ikea or from any other place, then you probably have because those things are crazy instructions. But how about directions? Sometimes you doubt that. That's why GPS, you know, those, I remember when GPS first came out, people were depending on it so much they were running off roads and into um, dead ends just because, well, I followed the GPS. But, um, but to understand, there's, there's a private in the army who was preparing for his first jump. He was told by the sergeant, okay, jump out of this plane, count to 30, pull your ripcord, and the chute will deploy. If the first doesn't work, just pull the second. When you land, a truck will be waiting for you. So the plane gets up to 10,000 feet, and so he jumps out. He begins free falling and somersaulting, and uh, while he's trying to fight the panic, being his first jump, he counts to 30. As he gets to 30, he pulls the ripcord. Nothing happens. He's thinking to his instructions. He, pull, he frantically looks for the other ripcord. He pulls that ripcord. Still nothing happens. As he looks down the ground and it's hurtling toward it, he's thinking to himself, great. And I doubt if that truck will be down there either. whole point is is that as we think about instructions and doubting you know what do you have to worry about but but to understand God's laws God's directives you know they're designed to teach us about his character and protect us from the consequences of sin we can trust God's works and God's words because we can trust God and that's the important part because we sometimes just look at the works but we can trust God's works because we can trust God. Our obedience and faith in God is based upon who he is and not what he can do for us. Sometimes we think of conditional. Okay, God, I'll obey you if you bless me. God, I'll do this. I know it's hard, but um, I know that you're going to do something for me. 
People have difficulty with faith and obedience because of their lack of a true understanding of who God is and what he's done in the past. Because we, especially in the United States, we're so self-reliant. But it's important. And that's why during times where maybe it's a medical issue, maybe it's a um, set of circumstances that we have no control. And God puts us in that to remind us that we can depend upon him. Look at verse 8. It says, they stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. There's that truthfulness again and right. And they help us, verses 7 and 8, help us to re understand the consistency between what God does, his works, and his words, his precepts, his directives. God does not change and his truthful and his righteous words and actions reflect his character. If you think about the the relationship between what someone says and what someone does. What does the saying go? Don't do as, as I do, do as I say. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do, or, you know, as, as, as it goes. But we have these mantras because just do it. Just obey it. Don't worry about that. Because we, humanly speaking, are inconsistent in our actions and in our words. Sometimes we're not even consistent in our words. If you ever have kids, you know that they'll correct you when you say something wrong, and they'll enjoy it. And uh, as you think about grammar and, and confusion. But here, God is consistent in all that he says and all that he does. The challenges we have is interpreting it. And the problem is much of the Bible, sometimes when we interpret it incorrectly, it leads to more misinterpretation and it becomes um, a faulty conclusion because people take the Bible out of context, they misinterpret it, and so that's why especially we want to interpret the Word of God correctly. And that's what the Word of God says, rightly dividing the Word of God. His essence. There's a word in theology that refers to God, his essence. And it's, it's simply saying, if you think of the term essential, his essence is God could not be God without this. If you think about the holiness of God, that is part of his essence. God cannot be God without being holy. But it's also a characteristic that we attribute to God. But it's an essential characteristic that defines God, and it cannot be removed from who he is. So his essence, if I were to explain to you, a holy God cannot speak sin. He cannot permit sin, nor cause sin. While he cannot allow sin in his presence, he knew people would sin and understands its demands and provided a method in which people could be forgiven and receive both atonement for sin and a personal intimacy with God without the sacrifice, um, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The shed blood covered our sins and permitted us to obtain a personal relationship with the holy God, even though we are very unholy and sinful and if we think about that truthfulness but then it leads into the next verse which is verse 9 which says he has sent redemption to his people he has commanded his covenant forever holy and awesome is his name remember I think about the the psalmist and as he's going through because remember there are 22 characters to the Hebrew alphabet and he's going through and doing each one as alliteration. But as we think about this, the redemption, 
Redemption, the word refers to the division or distinction, translated sometimes liberation or ransom. But it referring to the salvation, it refers to the purchase of believers back from the slave market of sin, understanding that was the picture here. And regarding Israel, we can view the past deliverance that God provided for his people from Egypt and the present deliverance from sin through sacrifice. Remember, as they came into the Old um, Testament through the wilderness, there was a constant reminder at Mount Sinai. Now there's going to be a sacrifice for sin, but that allows, permits the intimacy, the presence of God through the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle. And then the future deliverance that would come through the Messiah. And as we think about even Israel, still looking for that red heifer, still looking at scripture and wondering when that will take place, which we know to be true that Jesus Christ has come. But his covenant is confirmed repeatedly through his promises, through his faithfulness, through the reminder that God is faithful and will keep this covenant that he has given. And the new covenant of salvation, where it talks about, as we think about communion, this is the new covenant, New Testament, in that do this in remembrance of me, that his blood, the cup that we take is a reminder of his blood that was shed as a sacrifice, as a covering for sin. And it provides that every sinner receives deliverance from the penalty of sin and salvation. And as a believer, they're delivered from the power of sin through the presence of the Holy Spirit and a personal relationship with Christ. And then a new life marked by the Holy Spirit. And also through salvation, the deliverance, that redemption, provides a future deliverance from the presence of sin. That Someday we will be in heaven, eternal life. And this is a great reason as it leads into, as we think about even the poetic nature of coming into understanding. As it says in verse 9, he has commanded his covenant forever. He's established this. This will not go away. The same rights of the individuals who came to Christ in the Old Testament, New Testament, today, tomorrow, in the future, until he returns. And then this culmination, as it says, holy and awesome is his name. Hold your spot, if you will, and go to 1 Kings 8.60. I know in Psalms you can just go back a little bit, but 1 Kings. Just have a couple verses there if you want. There's 1 Kings 8.60. And then we're going to be going to Isaiah. In 1 Kings... As we look at, this is Solomon's dedication prayer. And as he is praying, a supplication, kneeling on his knees, his hands spread out to heaven. The assembly stood and blessed the assembly, and they blessed the Lord. And as it comes in, uh, I'll just start in verse um, 56, because it says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There is not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to himself. 
to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine which, with which I have made supplication before the Lord be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day may require. And then verse 60, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Then it goes on and says, let your heart be loyal. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah. Isaiah 45. Isaiah verse chapter 45. Here he's speaking to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held to subdue nations before him. Explaining to Isaiah that Cyrus is a Lord's instrument. To loose the armor of the kings, to open before him the double doors, and just how he had used this individual to conquer nations. But in verse 5, or starting in verse 4, it says, For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you. And though you have not known me, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. And then look. It says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Rain down, you heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. And then verse 9. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the pots herd strive with the pots herds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or shall your handiwork say he has no hands? Goes on and says, verse 11, that the Holy One of Israel and his maker, God is the one, is the holy God. He is the, the one who is the divine creator. He has done all these works. And because of that, he's the one who deserves all the credit and glory. And the response here from the psalmist, holy and awesome is his name. There is no other name under heaven in which we may obtain salvation. There's no other name given among men which we may be saved. And it comes through only the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's a reminder for us that holy and awesome is his name to attribute him. If we think about they've been going through um, on Sunday nights and uh, the last dance Michael Jordan, and it's just a reminder, some of those, I grew up in that era and watched some of those games, and it's a reminder um, to me, as I've seen some of them, is that while Jordan was a great player, the competitive fire, and how even as a nation, when they went to the dream team, and people, they became a big name internationally, everyone knew who he was, but then it goes away and comes again, and stars come and go, but the name of the Lord shall be praised. And you know you have these others who come on. You have LeBron, old King LeBron, and, and they use these, these terms for deity. But to understand, guess what? They're limited human beings. But yet God is the one who should be praised of what he's done. 
So, and then just in closing here, as we look at verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a reminder of Proverbs 1, 7, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And as we look at this, it says, it's almost like a change. What has occurred here? And it says, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. See, the fear of the Lord here is more than a, a reverent holy fear. It's a phrase used in the Old Testament to refer to a religious, religious life or true religion. So when they say the fear of the Lord, it referred to a way of life. He has the fear of the Lord in them, the fear of the Lord. It was a terminology which the New Testament James talks about. What is true religion? It's used in the Old Testament as a, a, a religious life or a way of life. And it's a life which evidences true accountability to God. It is one who is aware, conscious of the ability to please and disobey and honor a personal God. And what I would ask you, as you go through your week, as you think about events in your life, we think about things that we have to do, we, have to, we think about things that we accomplish, but have you ever thought about how you can please God on a daily basis? Thinking about how, oh, this will please God. We think about how we can please others, our family members, Kids, if you pick up your room, you know, it's like, okay, if I pick my room, my mom and dad will be happy, you know, and maybe we'll get dessert. Or if I, if I finish all this, then, you know, I'll get, I'll get a benefit from a boss. Or if we do certain things, we think about who we can please in our life. But we also need to think about what we, how we think, what we do, how, what can we do to bring praise and honor to God that will, if you will, to use a picture, bring a smile to his face. What will please God? And to be aware that we can actually please, disobey, and honor a personal God. And it leads to the benefits of a greater knowledge, a greater intimacy, and greater peace, which brings greater value to our lives. When we know that we are pleasing and honoring God, it brings a joyfulness. It brings a happiness. It brings a greater, a different perspective. Those of you who are, let's see, the glass is half full, the glass is half empty, and then there's those who drink it all and say, now let's empty it you know, completely. But the glass is half full to think about, oh, you know, the potential. I'm the optimist. The optimist can always look at any situation and think, wow, that is, that is a benefit, that is a blessing. And then there's pessimists and the realists, you know, with all these different views. But honestly, to think about the one who always desires to please God. Well, you know, having that perspective that we can please God and we can follow him no matter what our circumstances, no matter if we have to be isolated, no matter what occurs in our world. And if we recognize that the work of God in our life, we must identify it and praise the God who deserves all our praise. That's where the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, wisdom of who God is, and a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. See, you grow in the understanding of who God is. Grow in grace to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as Paul always opens um, and closes his uh, epistles. And as I was thinking about this, and it just brought me the reminder of only what is done for Christ will last for me to live as Christ. Where that came from was C.T. Studd. And I was going to read it, but then as I looked it up, I was like, this is long. 
So I'll just pass it out. So as you leave today, I actually have a copy for you in the back. Um, but we can close with this verse because as we think about Christ, Philippians 1.27, which many of you know, and just understanding that Philippians is an important part of the, um, the person and work of Christ as we go through Philippians and the emphasis of that, the joyfulness. But verse 127 says, let your, chapter 1, verse 27 says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. <laughs> it goes on very, relates to, and, and not in any way terrified of your adversaries, but is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. So as we think about it, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, and that will bring praise to God. But may it be evident in our speech, in our conduct, in our actions. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can praise you. And to think about the fact that our words, our actions can bring you glory. We can please you. And Lord, that is that is difficult for some who may be grown up in a home where they couldn't please their, their family, their parents. And the expectations were set so high that nothing was ever good enough. But Lord, you have given clear directive, clear instruction in your words. Nothing is too hard. While sure, we will sin, but yet there is forgiveness. There is a way in which we can come before a holy God. That when we sin, we can correct it. And we must immediately. And whether it be a trespass, where it be something that we accidentally do, where, whether it be a, a willful sin. Lord, you know. But you also understand that when a person comes to you, our sin is as the east is from the west. It can be removed, not humanly speaking, such as revenge or always keeping it before us. But Lord, you allow us to have a relationship with you in which we can find true fulfillment, true contentedness, true peace. You won't hold our past against us. And Lord, you permit that every act, every day in the future has the opportunity to live for you, to honor you, to glorify you. And Lord, that is the prayer, that we live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that it will bring praise to you. And during this time of uncertainty, of the future, Lord, help us to be ready to share with others. Help us to live in a way which would demonstrate that we love you, and that you are present and active in our life. Thank you so much for what you have done. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the word of God that we have to remind us, to instruct us, to guide us. And may your Holy Spirit continue to prick our conscience, to spur us to good works, to remind us that 
we need to follow you and that we need your help each day. Thank you, Lord. May you be lifted high. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.